Right after the sermon, our response song will be of the same psalm, the uh, third and fourth uh, stanzas. Our text this afternoon is found with our reading in, in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians as well as uh, chapter 9, uh, the verses 13 through 15 and from chapter 9, the verses 6 to 15. Because of their length, we won't read them again. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most beautiful things to experience as Christians is how our peace in Christ makes us a hand and foot for each other. As we all know, the world, for the most part, is about greed and looking out for oneself. God calls us to be different in Christ. And that's something we have to learn, undoubtedly. Just because we're Christians does not mean that we're suddenly only doing good for each other, to each other. The old nature is still to be seen all too often. We have to fight not only against the devil and the world, but also against our own flesh. One of the trouble spots in our living together and working together as church members is often seen in the financial matters. And one imagines in part that that is so because we all have different financial backgrounds. There are the rich and there are the poor, and most are somewhere in between. Regardless of where we stand, we are called to obligations, financial obligations. We have them in Barhead, and I'm sure you have them here as well. And therefore, it's good from time to time to look at Scripture so as to come to a, a fuller, perhaps better understanding of what is or should be really important to us when it comes to, to these matters. And then I'm not talking in the first place about loosening the, the purse strings. No, first of all, we should understand what it is the Lord requires of us as congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in that he calls us to work forward in all of our endeavors together in all and every circumstance. For this reason, I want to share with you this afternoon the words of Paul as he once addressed the congregation of Corinth on what was expected of her members in the support of each other and, and also to lay out before our eyes what, what that is in, in looking at this, this congregation. Our theme, beloved, is, is taken out of what Paul writes in chapter 8, verse 13 through 15. Our desire 
is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. And that's speaking about uh, the congregation itself, but also other congregations one must also imagine within the congregation, that there might be equality. These words then, uh, we want to see this afternoon, impose themselves upon our, our three heads, which we find with, with chapter uh, 9, verse 6 to the end. Brothers and sisters, let me start by, by saying that when it comes to the stewardship and, and generosity that Paul teaches the church to apply to living for Christ, he made sure that they would, first of all, express themselves as faithful lovers, as bride of Jesus Christ. He teaches that Christ must be the stimulus and momentum for their doing what they do. Christ is the gift of grace which God has given to the church. Therefore, we are called to a life of graceful giving congregation. To proclaim to you then the word of our Lord as we find that with our text under the following theme and heads, working with our gifts towards equality of blessing. First of all, then giving cheerfully, secondly, giving generously, and third, giving thankfully. First of all, giving cheerfully. We must recognize that this call to graceful giving is first of all to be seen in how we identify that God loves to see us as cheerful givers. This is how he, Paul puts it, starting with chapter 8 by saying, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And then he identifies the working out of, in the lives of the members of the Macedonian churches when he adds, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their cheerfulness, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So the members of the Macedonian churches were giving more than they were able to give, Paul said, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the saints, as we read that. Paul saw this generosity as totally unexpected, given their poverty. 
Paul says, and they did not do as we expected. In other words, to give a whole lot less. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So what was this demonstration congregation? Because it may sound a little bit uh, foreign to our ears, if not our, our actions. What was this demonstration? That's what we have to ask ourselves. What of their doing are we to recognize as we consider living lives as bride of Christ? For the kingdom of God and specifically then, as to our desire, for we're to be like the, the Macedonian churches, specifically as to our desire to financially give. Well, we go back to what we started saying in the beginning of this, the, the first head. Paul expresses the idea of our giving as intended for bringing equality among us as believers. Equality among believers. And what is that? Well, first of all, let's say what it's not. Paul is not mandating some form of communism or socialism in our text. Let's be clear about that right from the start. Communism and socialism especially communism, comes in the guise of, of equality, but are in fact based on elements of greed, of the poor wanting what the rich have, even if it needs to be done over dead bodies or the lack of regard for another man's property. We saw that in the early part of the 20th century in, in Russia, for instance, and other Eastern nations. How many of the bourgeoisie, as they were called, were not outright slaughtered in Russia so that the poor might take over their possessions? And of course, the poor didn't always get everything either, but an oligarchy of, of, of men who ran the show uh, lived in the lap of, of the new luxury, so to speak. And it's not to say either the bourgeoisie, the, the so-called rich people, and the learned people were innocent to victims. No, they, uh, they were not always good. So not at all, not to say they were, uh, they were good, they were exceptionally good, and it was all wrong as far as the poor were concerned. What Paul is encouraging us to see, and which is different, is that which comes out of the cheerfulness of the heart. To ask ourselves, what is it now that cheers us or is to cheer us? Well, Paul encourages the believers to show a sense of community and unselfishness when it comes to the body of Christ. And we've heard that in other places as well. There's not one part of the body of Christ that may say to the other part, I have no need for you. On the contrary, there should always be with each of us an eye for seeing that the one who has less among us may share in the richness of the one who has much more. That's what is to make us happy. 
when everyone is happy. Envy and strife are removed when we become members of, of the body of Christ. That's how it's supposed to be. Because that's what brings us a long, long way to, to paradise restored. Working towards equality does that, brothers and sisters. The new heaven and the new earth, there will be no uh, envy or strife any longer. We know that. But is that something of the, of the future? That we don't have to regard it now? No, we are part of, of what the future holds. We heard that this morning as well. We're part of, of paradise restored in, in, in our thinking, in the renewal of our minds. And that's why there is this call this afternoon of working towards equality. And when we do that, when we work towards that, we see the restoration start to take place. Paul says, then there will be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. We're encouraged to work towards making sure that every one of us is satisfied. Now, when we say equality, it doesn't mean we all have to have the same income. But it does mean that God's provisions are to be shared, not hoarded. Invested in the well-being of the body of which we are an integral part and not squandered. Given and not kept to one's self as if money is our God, our worship. And then to verse 6 of our text. Paul therefore adds, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So Paul's principle of sowing and reaping is chosen here to challenge the believers in Corinth and the churches surrounding with a vision of how much good they could do by simply investing more sacrificially in the ultimate farming experience, which is the reign of God's grace. Remember this congregation, grace giving always flows from and models itself on Jesus giving. He exchanged his heavenly richness for our poverty, brothers and sisters. We are to do the same as we confront needs in the church on every level. Whether in giving the widow's might or sweat equity from our own brows. We must never forget in our lives in Christ that Jesus has taken us to be his bride. So that he might see in us what was also in him. This generous giving. Not looking at oneself. But looking at the needs of others. That's what he did for us as you all know. Congregation. And so we must do. 
so that that greater harvest of a new heaven and a new earth will be reaped as seed of his life by our union to him. You see where we need to be, brothers and sisters? Each man then should, should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. We must be gracious in our giving. That means that it must come from the heart. Moved by the thought of what Jesus has done for us. What he has given in his great sacrifice. We need to make a commitment therefore. To get intentional and specific in our giving. All too often we give reluctantly or we give without much thought. We go from support of one cause one week or one month to supporting another cause the next month. And it can all be a blur as we hardly give thought to our giving. Well, being happy means that what we do must come from being specific. If not spe specific, if not with direction of our hearts, true Christian happiness does not take place, will not take place. Understand this congregation. If we think more specifically about what we give, we will also give more generously. That's how it works. Should our conscience not prick us if we know we have not given our first fruits? I'm talking about you as brothers and sisters in Christ, of being joined to Christ. Should our conscience not prick us if we've not given our first fruits. So we need to be specific in our giving. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were commanded to give a tithe, a tenth of all they had, and I'm sure they gave much more. If we're not convinced that tithing is still called for by the scriptures for members of the new covenant community, then should we not be challenged to make a case against why we should give less than 10% of our income? Shall we who are not under the rule of law but under the rule of the Spirit, under the reign of grace, be less generous than Israel of old? Or shall we say, because that's where it's at, less cheerful? See, it comes out of cheerfulness. Congregation, the saying goes like this. If you aim at nothing... You will hit it every time. But is that how we are to live? Cheerful givers don't live to earn 
more of God's love. They simply live to demonstrate God's love more clearly and more boldly. God loves cheerful givers because he loves to see in us what he sees in himself. And we're never more godlike than when we are generous. For that is his purpose for us and in us shall it not be our purpose towards him, to honoring him, an honoring which will be a blessing for our brothers and sisters and for others outside of our circle as well. Indeed, indeed we will. So we come to the second point, giving generously. Cheerful giving congregation produces in us thoughts of overflowing. That's what cheerful giving does. We start to have thoughts of how much more we can do. At least it should. If you've learned to give, and you've given often, something inside of you makes you want to do it more and more. Philanthropists, that is men and, and women, who have inherited or worked so as to accumulate much wealth, are known for giving away of their wealth to the poor or to institutions in our society. I think of, of Warren, Warren Buffett. He's a man, the richest, one of the richest men in the world. Countless millions and billions. And yet here's a man who, at least as far as I can recall, up till quite recently, if not even till today, still lives in the house he lived in when he was around in the 1950s or 60s, I think it was. He's already determined to give his money away. Bill Gates, I think, too, is that way for a large part. He's not, Buffett's not going to give it to his children. He's already told them that. You're not getting anything from me. You've got, you've got your wealth already. You don't need this abundance. He'll give it away. And he'll feel good about it. We may ask ourselves, are these men always driven by the right motive? That's hard for us to judge, isn't it? Some may do it as a means of gaining the love and respect of others. We can be pharisaic also in these things, I'm sure. But not to judge them. Not to judge them. But to identify with them, in part. What we may identify with many of them is that they became addicted to giving to others so as to make their lives somehow happier. And I'm sure it happens here as well, this congregation. And that view of things must certainly be ours as Christians, all the more than the Warren Buffets of this world, 
given, a, given what God has given us, congregation, the greatest riches, more so than what this man has or others have. We are to be driven by the thought that our work here on this earth is now directed towards the higher purpose by which God is making all things new and holy. We see enough sorrow in this life to consider that God, with the implementation and working of his kingdom upon this earth, is now already in our lives seeking to restore all things for the glory that eternity will bring, when there will no longer be suffering. And so to work on that in this life, congregation, because we're happy to do so, we're joyous, joyful to do so. In his church, he looks to find us busy with his cause for bringing peace and love back to our earthly existence. Consider that congregation as to why you've been called to be a cheerful giver Yes, consider what is making you happy as a generous giver. It is to further God's cause, God's goodness, God's rule, that we do the things we do. And, and perhaps especially then in those financial things, those things that often we, we seek to hang on and to hoard rather than to give. Are we busy being cheerful? And if so, does it show in your giving, brothers and sisters? Or is living your life much the same as the man of the world? Are you in it for yourself? Is that the direction you're going in? And are you, whether consciously or not, Training, training your children to follow suit. What does the kingdom mean for you and your family in your daily life? Is that something of, of the future with which you have no connection? Then to ask ourselves, well, what change has Christ brought then? Now that he has accomplished all things in his appearance on this earth. What has he left us to, to do? Is it only about thoughts and ideas concerning Jesus and not the effects of these things which he has done being worked out to fruition in our lives? Grace giving leads to grace abounding, which leads to more grace giving ad infinitum without end. Generosity is the spout by which God empowers us for a life of good works and the means by which he enriches one and all, especially then the poor of his church and of this world. Equality Working towards equality, brothers and sisters, because working towards it is working for the establishment of righteousness and holiness as the foundation of the kingdom that is coming and which has started in this world. You are the ones who are to make the difference 
You are to be the salt and the light of the world. Well, show it, brothers and sisters. Show it. It doesn't have to be with, with millions of dollars. It just has to be with a generous heart and a happy heart. It can be a small thing that means as much to the one who has received it than that it should be wealth. And this thought is captured in the words of Paul in verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We are to be busy with the harvest of God's grace and mercy. If you're not willing to place the seed in the ground of growth for the kingdom, then don't expect a rich harvest for the kingdom either. Therefore, give generously, starting with our recognition of each other as equals to the cause. He who has much, not have too much. And he who has little, not have too little. And then think of what, it, what is needed in this, the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. But also to have an eye for the bigger picture. It can have worldwide consequences. In that we see it as a need for worldwide endeavors. Through the grace, through the reign of grace, God is reconciling men unto himself and to one another. All sin-created barriers must come down. Therefore, one of the most motivating, most important motivations Paul had for collecting the famine relief fund from Gentile churches was to demonstrate the power of the gospel for destroying all hostility between people, groups, races, and nations, beginning as we see time and again in Scripture, where that intense racism, bigotry, and nationalism, which kept Jews and Gentiles apart and separated from each other, was being broken down. It was a tremendous statement that the message that Paul brought concerning this generous giving was that converted Gentiles who were once hostile to the Jews came to their aid as in Jerusalem. It demonstrated in its generosity the power of the gospel in word and deed. And these people craved to do this. They spent more than they had, as it says, of course, more than they should have given. That's perhaps what we have to understand with that, but we know what it means. They gave beyond their means, Paul says. And this answers, this answers then to, to the purpose of the gospel. As he, Paul explains that in Galatians chapter 3, when he says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile or Greek. There's neither slave nor free. 
There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That reign of grace is committed, is to be committed to by us as well. We are to have the same agenda today. We are to work hard at implementing this miracle of reconciliation and do so until it is made complete. And that means, starting with the household of God, we are to look not only to ourselves, but also to others in the church. Think equality, even as you know there can be differences of well-being in our families. And do what makes equality a reality. Do it, brothers and sisters. And you'll see how the Lord will bless that for one and all. So coming to the last point, giving thankfully. Deep congregation giving cheerfully, giving generously. Do so out of thankfulness for what has been given. I don't know how to say it any better than what it says in our text. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us our generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. All too often, our giving is not motivated because our focus is not uh, either not fully on the prize or it's even on the wrong things. How many of us do not get past the idea, for a large part at least, that the money we make depends on us and is for us. If thinking that way, one might well understand that our giving will not always be as forthcoming as it might. For if we think we have to do it in order for us to give what we give, then our giving will quite often be of a lesser quality than God expects. But what part of the gospel which Paul brought motivated the Corinthians and Macedonian churches to give for the poor in the abundance in which they did? Yes, abundance. As even Paul was surprised at what they gave. There can only be one answer to that, brothers and sisters. And it must be the answer that motivates us as well. In order for us to give freely, we must recognize that it is God who in the first place gives us freely of all the gifts that make us rich in Christ Jesus. And that's not just financial I'm talking about. I'm talking about all the gifts of which, yeah, the financial is a part. God is in the first place the one who provides that's according to his promise. He says, I will provide for you, as we just read. Should we even dare to go out of our homes in faith 
to do what we're called to do for the well-being of each other and for the poor in the world without the knowledge that God is going to provide us in that day with everything we need. And I'm not saying that there will not be setbacks and, and that there will be, not be the poor among us. Of course, we're working towards eradicating that by being practicers of, of equality. But this is the norm. This is the norm of living as children of God. As, as brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's that God says he will provide. And we know that even in, in rough times. Times when we have little. And when some of the older ones have gone through that. Still remember it. Second World War. The poverty that was there. The inability to, to work in a normal way. Or to receive the, the foods that were needed. Much starvation in the Netherlands from which many of us come, background. And so there are those trying times, but in and through it all, we may look for the Lord to provide. And that's what the brothers and sisters, our forebearers did too. They kept praying, praying to God for better times. And God answered them. Consider the manna that came down from heaven, more than could be gathered, Consider how God made it crystal clear in that giving of the manna that he was the provider. You're also uh, requested to give for manna today. Well, think of that manna. He made it crystal clear in that that he was the provider as he caused the manna to disappear after enough had been gathered and caused it to be maggot-ridden if some thought to keep it longer than a day. Except, of course, for the Sabbath, which was also a miracle. What was he saying? He was saying, it's not you. Your sandals are not wearing out. I put you in this desolate place for 40 years, wandering in a, de in a desert, to show to you that I am going to provide. And it's but that in, we come to him in faith and say, yes, Lord. We depend on you. God was saying everything you have is mine. And I am your faithful father. Who provides for you my children. More than your own parents. Might provide you with an inheritance. God is above that. And is giving to us. What is the ultimate goal? of gracious giving. It is therefore thanksgiving congregation. That's why this is our last point. We want to thank God now for what he promises to do, what he has done, and what he will do. The entire creation reorient, reoriented for the praise and worship of God. That's what our quest is as ultimately he provides eternal salvation for those whom he calls his children. That's awaiting us. We will have no want in what is our final destination. We'll always be provided for, well, this same God is there for us today.
you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, that is, who have been given help so as to help the poor in Jerusalem and other places, your generosity will result in a giving of praise from your own lips, but also those who receive from your hand. And will that not be the case when you look to the poor in the congregation as well? Will they not feel themselves blessed that because they cannot gain what they need themselves but are provided for, will they not bring praise that God has worked out such a wonderful situation as is his congregation, the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ? He provides, therefore he deserves Praise of thanksgiving. It is as simple as that, congregation. Only do so. Dare to do so. See it clearly and do things right. And others will see to do it right as well. It is infectious because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Ah, how important our giving is for the gathering of the kingdom. There's nothing more important than for Jesus to be made famous and glorious in the hearts of mankind, starting with our own brothers and sisters in Christ. How shall that be done except we show to each other the generosity he showed first of all to us, calling us to be his brothers and sisters, calling us to be his equals. And surely that's what Francis of Assisi uh, intended when he charged his students with the following words, preach the gospel and use words if you must. In other words, live, live the gospel and then speak. Because when you do, the deeds will verify the truth you say. And indeed, men will be won over to Christ because the actions demonstrate the truth of what you have spoken. Amen.